Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by guest Dennis Chahook. Dennis, welcome to the show. Hey, hello, Jonathan. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. So could you start off by telling folks a little bit about who you are and what you do? My background, background is primarily in tech. I started off as a software engineer and nowadays I'm coaching and training engineering managers and tech leads and senior engineers and architects on how to deliver stuff faster. Cool. All right. And you were in the pricing seminar. How many have you, you're a boomerang, right? <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a double boomerang. So this is my <laughs> third time taking the pricing seminar. Um, and I, and I left you, uh, so rather than introducing myself the third time on, on, on the workshop, I left you a, um, testimonial highlighting my journey on the first one, the second one, the third one, and what went well, what didn't go well. And I, and I think that's how we got started on this conversation for, for today's topic. Yeah, I really appreciate it, especially for the people that are coming in for the first time. The pricing seminar is so long that uh, it, it can be hard to sort of see what's coming. Even though it's listed, it, it can be a little bit difficult to kind of contextualize whatever the current lesson is. So could you share with folks what your experience was in like those different iterations? I mean, to some... Hmm, I wouldn't really call them iterations. Like To me, those were like really big mission statements mm. I, I didn't really finish the pricing seminar I, I don't think i've ever finished the pricing seminar so far <laughs> okay. right? like it's it's not really i go in and i finish the seminar and wow I have, all of my problems are solved um, usually i go in and then there's one thing that really hits me with a brick mm. and then i get stuck there and then i deal with it and usually i need much more time to deal with it than the pricing seminar lasts mm. wow but I do end up dealing with it. Um, cool. At least that has been my experience. So the first time, you know, it has, you, you might have iterated a few times on it, but I, I believe the seminar has something where between 48 and 50 lessons. Yep. It, that was the original one. It's down to 36 now, a little bit, well, plus some bonus stuff, but yeah. Yeah. So the first one I dropped out at lesson five, that's when it hit me. What was the thing that hit you? I mean, just writing proposals, you know, the language in the proposal required that I know exactly what I'm doing, that I know my client exactly, that I know exactly what their pain is, how I'm addressing it, that I know exactly what terminology they use, and that I know why my services are valuable. And I simply had no idea what I was doing. So what did you do with that? Like once you realized that, like how did you start to try and apply that in your business? I mean, at first it was hard to stomach. You know, I, I, I first stumbled upon your work when you joined Chris Doe for a podcast on essentially um, steel manning hourly billing and then essentially giving up on it and introducing the audience to value-based pricing. That's that's where I get hooked. It's sort of that, that video circled in my network and everybody was all over it. And that, that, got, that is what got me inspired initially to join the pricing seminar with you the first time. Um, because initially going in, I was in software, I was an engineer, web developer, backend engineer, architect, tech lead, something in between in startups and smaller corporations and then larger corporations and then agencies going back and forth. And all I wanted to do is just get a higher, first of all, to work on something that is meaningful and get paid well without me being paid hourly. The problem was... The better I got, the faster I got things done, and the less I was paid. And I and I had this had this 
gut-wrenching feeling that there is something wrong with that and it's my responsibility to fix it got it so that so that uh interview resonated really strongly yeah all right so then you jumped into the pricing seminar and how long did it take well you, you said earlier that you sort of like get stuck and then it takes you a while but mm -hmm. you work through it eventually so what did that process look like the first time around with the proposals well i, I wrote the proposal but I, I remember had a lot of resistance writing it so you so for those that don't know you have this amazing little setup at the beginning it's really difficult at the beginning you know we get to the meaty bit immediately uh and we end up just basically it's like a business model canvas in a very simply stylized way essentially mm -hmm. it's a five template proposal it's a very very static script and i just fill it in with my business details and what i'm doing with my clients and why they found me and what the outcomes of us cooperating is and how much it costs that's basically the template pretty much um, <laughs> and that was very hard to write because i needed to i needed to have a a so all of my clients i was working with hourly being paid hourly on freelance marketplaces mm -hmm. and i have never conducted this conversation with somebody who had who would pay me but but priced on value mm -hmm. so I never had this conversation so I had to make it up and I just couldn't imagine my ideal client for this kind of work uh so that was my first hurdle um so I just sort of tried to reverse engineer it tackle it from different angles sort of ask for feedback look at what everybody else is coming up with and it was all over the place you know I got inspired but then I saw well yeah that's what I'm doing but why would I price it that way that doesn't make there was always one little piece missing mm. there was always like that little nugget of you know like you have this complex gearworks and there's that little gear missing somewhere and the, and those large gears just don't touch um <laughs> and then later on i realized that what i was trying to do was essentially just continue being a freelance engineer slash tech lead slash architect but just command a higher salary without being tracked hourly mm -hmm. and that was in that that, had a, that that was a me problem that had nothing to do with the client and as long as I was attached to that strategy to that let's say verbalization of why I'm doing this I got yeah. stuck and I had to like I had to stomach my ego had to stomach me saying okay I don't know what I'm doing uh I need to test this with the market and that was my first uh-huh okay how do I test this with the market like if I if I accept that this might not be valuable, that the core thing that I'm selling might fail, and I have to repivot my my business, that was a scary thought to right. begin with. Mm -hmm. Once I accepted that, I was like, okay, well, how can I test this idea? And the answer to that was then the next lesson. Mm. All right, so that's meaning not the next lesson in TPS, but like that was your next hurdle. No, but it was literally the next lesson in TPS. Oh, <laughs> okay. yeah, it was the next lesson. It, it just, you know, I just didn't have a strong enough question for me to even push through the pain on lesson five. I see. Um, and then it started making sense. Yeah, because I think we talk about productized services next, which... Exactly, exactly. Because I was just selling myself, you know, my CV, not my productized service. So I had to, I used my experience as leverage, as testimonial, and without that, I didn't have anything of substance. So letting go of that was a scary bit. Right. And then starting from scratch, essentially. Yeah. So it's, it, it's like freelancers, like you said, with your CV or your resume, you're like, here, here's the, here are the ingredients in this bottle. And do you, do you want those ingredients? There's no offer, 
right? They're, you're not with, with, with just normal freelance, no one's, no one's making an offer. The freelancers aren't making an offer. They're just like, Hey, if you need help with something that I can help you with, I, I can help you with it. Exactly. You know, it's, it's just so diffuse. It's just like fog. There's no, it's so, not even a sales conversation. They, they don't even send me an offer for, for what I'm doing. They are sending me an offer for what their job description was, right? So it, it doesn't even resonate on a, on, on the most basic level of what they're buying. It's not even me who has put the, you know, the duties and responsibilities together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so what happened next? So did the, did the, were you able in the productized service week, were you able to sort of unblock yourself there did find like find like ways to test the offer so at that point i was already behind on tps so i, I it was a little bit of an uphill um like an uphill effort let's say from that point onward mm. um because you know it the, and it, even back then i think you were launching these lessons two lessons in a week or sometimes a lot the longer lessons were weekly um, and I just hit a point where the productized services made sense. I just didn't know, but, but they were super small. Like the point of the productized service was that at least for the example, for the exercise, it was meant to be small. Uh, I just didn't know how to, you know, put hire, hire me full time for six months. I don't know. I didn't know how to productize that. <laughs> yeah. because we, because the, it, it, the valuable things start at the end of, the, of those six months. And I didn't know how to connect. I will sell you that thing at the end of the six months and I'll figure out how to get there. Like yeah. that, that gap was then missing right. of, of talking about the outcome only and talking about the outcome in the words of the, the customer, not even the customer, but the tech lead. And even, I didn't even have my positioning set up. So I didn't even know, you know, am I talking to a CTO, a CEO, a tech lead, an engineering manager, or just somebody who's a recruiter. Wow. Uh, that yeah. was also missing now, no thinking back, you know, that that was the main thing. That was the problem. Yep. Didn't know who the buyer was yeah. or who you wanted the buyer to be. Right. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. Back then it was, um, if you, you must've been in one of the first three, I was doing it every, every other day, a lesson would come out. So you, yeah, it was quite <laughs> yeah, I, I, action packed. I did yeah, action packed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I changed it to three days a week so that you weren't getting a, a video on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, yeah. So, okay. That, I mean, this is, fascinating to me and hopefully to the listener because the the hearing how you sort of like your individual hurdles and roadblocks and, and what was going through your mind I'm reasonably confident will resonate with a lot of people you know just not knowing this stuff it's like I've got like the feeling of of starting from scratch realizing that you need to start from scratch with some kind of offer mm -hmm. is just fundamentally it's like 180 degrees different than the way that people generally start out you know they start out saying like oh, i'm great at all these things do you need any of these things mm -hmm. so all right wild okay so what happens what happened next did you did you start to feel like you needed to work on this on your own for a while or or did you come up with a productized service that wasn't six months long so i just to be clear that i was really proud of when i had that proposal written and the sort of idea of what the productized service should be and to sort of put the productized services back into the proposal. So, you know, so I needed step six to actually put the thing into step five uh, to have the doc there. Um, and I, without changing too much, because I'm a perfectionist and I was like, okay, I'm going to change it. No, it's too much money. You know, I'm, no, I'm, <laughs> nobody's going to buy this. 
And I said, okay, I'm not gonna, I will stop putting my ego first and I will commit on a number and test the market. And if they say no, then they say no. So I, I created a productized service that was like super short scope, but the same value. And I just priced it at 45,000, which is outrageous. And I did send that proposal to an actual client and, and it bombed. You know, it was like, hell no. <laughs> They're like, hell no. <laughs> it's like, hell no. Un- unconnect, unfollow me on LinkedIn and bye-bye. <laughs> but I needed that. You know, I needed that. That was my first time ever. I mean, I got paid more than that on a yearly salary just for being employed, for contrast. But I, but I never... I never put that number on something I sold, you know, like I never had the sales conversation for more than, you know, a thousand bucks at a time, even though I was paid, you know, six, seven K per month for being hired as an engineer. Uh, So, so there was, there was that my relationship with money that was also involved with how I think about wealth and how I think about investment. Um, So that, that, that was a whole nother tangent. And then that was really what I was, what I was focusing on. So during that period, I started, you know, I saw that I had a really weird, like it, writing the proposal had a really strong emotional, negative emotional impact on me. And I said, well, hold on. When I'm talking about money, when I'm selling something, like it, it grips me. There's something not okay here. So I did another seminar. I did a, uh, I'm, I'm a trainer for that seminar actually now for, for um, the EMF by Peter Sage. So it's, uh, that really helped me deal with my emotions regarding money. I needed that to just, be okay talking about money and doing sales and being okay with abundance and just inviting more of it into my life. Mm. And once I did that, I could just let go of the the messes I made, the proposals I wrote and start from zero and just say, okay, well, rather than trying to say how much money I want for, and then trying to make up something of value, I'll just write down everything I ever did, my successes, my brag list, your brag and I'll, list. Yep. my brag list and i'll reach out to my former colleagues and i'll ask them why this was valuable and my former clients why this was valuable and this was a long journey and then with all my successes i said okay well there's a lot of gold here this and this and this and this is uniquely tied to me and i want to keep doing that who mm. would pay a high ticket price for this mm. can you give us any chance you could give an example of the kind of so like this is great like that you that you reach back out and had them explain what they got out of it yeah right? the why so, conversation essentially right but after the fact after the fact correct like yes. i didn't have a client so i had the chicken egg problem i need to have the why conversation so i can learn how to sell it to a client but i don't have a client so i don't have can't have the why conversation right so i'm having a conversation <laughs> with myself <laughs> Cool. And what do you recall? Like what kinds of things cropped up? Were there patterns? There were, there were. So generally it had to do with wearing many hats and occupying many overlapping roles in startups and small companies. So generally now reading, you know, thinking back on it, reading books like Team Topologies and the the, the original Agile Manifesto and now Dave Farley's work on continuous, continuous delivery, it essentially... Um, touched on the tactical aspects of vertically integrating a product team. So dealing with a team that is siloed, where the engineer is separate from product, where the product is separate from DevOps, where the DevOps is separate from, I don't know, testers or designers or front and back end splits, any kind of silo environment. I usually was in that little overlapping Venn diagram where I communicated and corralled 
things together to vertically integrate towards faster delivery. And during during that integration, I also noticed I was heavily, heavily focused on teaching and mentoring engineers on how to deal with their own craftsmanship quality and how to deal with communicating with product and vice versa. How, how should products set up the project to then communicate it down business jargon from a domain-driven design perspective down to the developers so that the entire circle is cohesive and collaborative and not not essentially a siloed delegation cluster. Mm. I hear that a lot from people that their sort of superpowers being able to translate business jargon into developer jargon and back. And that that's it's it's a theme. It comes up. It's very mm-hmm. it's very valuable. Okay, this is great. So so what did you, what did you do next? Like once you had that information, because I kind of interrupted the thread, like once you got that information and you were like, oh, this is where I'm really adding value. What did you do next? I made a list. Well, then I continued TPS. But then the next things, you know, drafting your leads, nurture, nurture campaign. I didn't know what to do when they have an email. I didn't have an audience and then podcasts and then et cetera. But then I said, hmm, hang on. What videos do I watch? Let's talk about writing on LinkedIn every day. And I said, okay, well, what am I going to write about? I, d- I had no idea. And it was difficult to write every day. I said, I'm not going to have a newsletter. I'm not going to make a blog. Because I'm just gonna get distracted implementing it myself and just tinkering with the code rather than <laughs> and actually deploying content. Mm-hmm. That's what you know, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> totally. And uh, I said, okay, I'm just gonna have LinkedIn. I'm just gonna post on LinkedIn. It seems to be the popular thing to do right now. Let's just do that. So what should I post about? And then I essentially just posted about what I did and what I was learning. So I said, hey, I I posted on agility testing, domain-driven design. It was all over the place. It, it really, it lacked a central like solar system. It lacked a, a audience. But I was posting about my experience and in posting, I guess the algorithm sort of picked up on it and I got, and I got suggested really good, high-quality videos that got released that week on those topics. So then I watched those videos and I thought to myself, wow, it would be really interesting to have a conversation with those people. So then I started making a list and I sent them cold emails on LinkedIn asking them if they would want to have a conversation with me, if I can ask them for advice. And then I did once or twice and I was like, damn, we should have recorded this. (laughs) And then the third time I was like, okay, okay, hang on. No, this is not serious. I, I need to start a podcast. Yep. And then I had a friend whom I respect and sort of trust start off with the first episode so ty helped me uh sort of pilot the first episode it was really clumsy we had camera issues low quality we were all over the place but that started it that started it and then i had a podcast and through that podcast i built an audience and through that audience every guest i invited i got really close friends with i learned about how they did things we coincidentally realized that we're essentially building the same type of consultancy, just attacking it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. Some people are attacking it from the vector of we are focused on C-sharp. Some are attacking it from the angle of we are focused on mobile and e-commerce. Somebody's tackling it. We are tech, we are we are focused on uh, enterprise level integrations. And I am focused on that the craftsmanship skills, testing and the human the human interplay of how to communicate between product and engineers. And then I got back into TPS. 
Okay, so roughly, <laughs> roughly, what's the time frame here? Because you know, if you were in one of the first three TVS uh, cohorts, that must have been twenty eighteen. Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I don't know which one the first one was exactly. Okay, and so do you remember when you started the podcast, or how many episodes you have now? So now I have eleven episodes. So uh, I, 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 we did have our babies born in between me recording podcasts. So, <laughs> okay. yeah, so they're they're three months old now. So, so I started the podcast last June or July. Okay. Uh, no, actually, no, I, I can just look it up. I can just look it up. Sorry if you don't mind me no, strictly ahead. cheating. Uh, <laughs> So I started the podcast six months ago, exactly. So that would okay. be September, oh, August, let's say August. So that was on the tail end of my second TPS, I believe. The first one was just me figuring out productized services and going back to the roots and asking for feedback. Back to the and roots, then I, I like that. And then as I signed up for the second TPS, I also in parallel started working on my podcast. And as I got further along in TPS, I realized that you actually have podcasting as one of the lessons. Yeah. And I had my podcast done by that time, once I reached that. There you go. <laughs> the irony, right? Yeah. Yeah. I still don't have an email campaign, uh, which is the one, one of the prior lessons. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's why I'm doing it now the third time. Got it. All right. Cool. So, so in the, the when you, when you posted your sort of experience in the TPS Slack, mm -hmm. you mentioned that um, the big win for you in the second time through was writing a lead magnet. Correct. You... So, so second time I did it, it just coincided with me starting my podcast. And I think that was when I was already enrolled for the second time as a boomerang. And I was behind, but then through the inspiration on just having the podcast already done, that gave me renewed energy to, to go with it. And then I just went back to how far along I went. And then, you know, lesson 10, I got to lesson 10, finally. <laughs> uh, and then lesson 10 was the lead magnet. And then that was super easy because by that point, I made 10 or like nine YouTube videos which were about 30 hours of conversation, 25 hours of conversations. And I had a lot of LinkedIn posts. I just said, oh, well, okay, well, I'll just pick one topic. I was talking about six-ish topics. I'll just pick one and make a little presentation for it. And then I created a little nurture campaign for that and teased it on LinkedIn. I started posting from it and it ended up being very helpful. And then I just mentioned that this is something for free that I'm giving away. And I started posting on Reddit as well. And I asked for a few people who'd be interested in it. If they want a copy, just to drop me an email or to contact me on LinkedIn. And that link, that magnet was about test-driven development, but done in a human way without the sort of, um, for those that know test-driven development, it is a very specific extreme programming discipline that is quite it's quite contentious. Like some people like it, some people hate it, and it's, it's, it doesn't have really empirical evidence on productivity, but it does seem to highlight those aspects of coding that make things easier to change and cheaper to maintain into the actual workflow, even though even though it's a hassle to apply for some people. Yeah. 
so it's it, not it, fun it's not <laughs> fun I it's have fun yeah it's not fun i mean it does give you a dopamine it's like workout it's not fun at the beginning but it's like wow once you get rolling yeah and a lot of people don't like that um so i started i'd made a lead magnet on that on essentially for my audience of software engineers who were in that yeah it's not fun you know it's painful at the beginning should i should i start it and it was basically some some little tidbits of information on how to get started if that is where they are if that is the point where they are stuck mm -hmm. and that was really popular i got a lot of you know i had almost 100 people expressing interest in it mm -hmm. i gathered feedback and that feedback then uh gave me inspiration to expand that presentation and to actually write a booklet and then mm -hmm. i really went deep back to the roots again on just this topic i redid that interviewing uh, I went back to my brag list. I got the good stuff in. I sort of organized it. And then that lead magnet ended up being 70 pages of like semi-presentation, semi-infographic style that I self-published on Gumroad as a booklet. Mm -hmm. And there was that was the first time that I started talking to engineering managers, to leaders, where I said, okay, this isn't about you, the developer. This is about your team and what your team might be going through. And then at the end of the book, I just had a sort of, Shout out to, back to myself and my podcast and it's and general advice for what you should be doing if you're a individual looking for a career in tech, what you should be doing if you're a professional freelancer and what you should be doing if you're the tech lead of a company. Mm. So let me stop you and ask some tactical questions, which are uh, probably not important, but are I know are interesting to the audience and can unblock them. So when you created the booklet you self-published it on gumroad but did you did you like do the whole thing yourself like how did you corral all that information into some kind of format was it just a pdf is it ebook like it was just a pdf i okay. went to canva i picked a template that's not invasive to the eyes and i put in some neat fonts and essentially i wrote down a point and a few bullets for every page and then I had enough content so that by the time I was happy with the density of it, it ended up being 70-ish pages. That's great. So how would you characterize the level of effort? Was it a huge pain for a long time? Was it no big deal? Was it mostly a curation exercise that took you maybe five, 10 hours? Or was it like how big of an undertaking was it? it? I had it done in a weekend. Like I was super excited. I had it done in a weekend. But the material, the content for it I was essentially... A curation effort of things that I had been posting about as a result of doing TPS and the podcast. Yep. Love it. Okay. That's fabulous. And now you also, I think you, the, the phrase you used was you started talking to uh, more tech leads about it. What did you mean? Do you mean on LinkedIn or were you reaching out to people? Like what was, how did people come to know about this thing? Well, usually I had to sort of ask them questions or connect with them or do this sort of cold calling style engagement with them, or they would still contact me through marketplaces because I was on Code Mentor and Mentor Cruise at the time still. So it was mostly B2C one-on-one with engineers, but I didn't really have a good grip on CTOs or tech leads. Yep. I did have a few gigs going on that level, but I just happened to stumble upon them. They just found me and then... What turned out to what initially was thought of as a database problem or an architecture problem ended up being actual like system wide coaching that I which is actually what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. um, 
but it didn't really stick. Like the 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 discovery journey for them was clumsy. It, it just happened to be you know stumbling upon that I to happen to you know know more than just databases or know about certain architectures or just a certain language or framework. Right. Yeah, you like and that was your way into a consulting engagement. Exactly, exactly. And then, or maybe I, maybe somebody, re- or even worse, maybe somebody reached out to me that they wanted to hire me. And then I flipped that interview into maybe some weird sales conversation where I wanted to, <laughs> and they hate that. Like recruiters especially, they hate that. But I love doing it. You know, it's, it's, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rebel. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and that also gave me a lot of information, just talking to recruiters. It's like, well, you have this problem, I can solve it, but not, not, not as this role. Like if you hire me, this contract will bind my hands. Uh, And that, and that also gave me a light bulb moment, but I didn't know how to apply it. And then once I had the booklet, that was the first time where my audience, my buyers, they came to me and they said, Dennis, I have that problem on page 62 of your booklet. (sighs) And I don't want to, I don't have enough time to figure it out myself. Right. And then we started talking. Boom. All right. So that is huge. So I mean, I don't know if there's anything I have to add here, but the the I guess I'll just give the big picture, which is this this years long, a couple of years long journey of like like sort of getting dragged, kicking and screaming into content creation, like the podcast and like <laughs> like posting on LinkedIn and talking, having conversations with your past clients and retroactively having the why conversation and starting to understand it all from their perspective and seeing what works and and uh, creating all these relationships like there's uh I, I don't know if this is literally true for you but i know i know from a, working with a lot of people especially engineers who have a, a little bit of like hunker down and code kind of attitude that they the thing that's missing in so many cases is conversations like talking to other people and really listening especially buyers, but even really any kind of consumer of your content, like really listening, getting feedback about about what they want and what they're getting out of what you're creating and then sort of sort of polishing it or or, you know, redirecting it or rephrasing it in a way that is going to make the message that you're trying to communicate actually land with the other person. So, I mean, just having more conversations in general, like this, you've just described a way that you increased probably increased the number of conversations you were having around what people want versus versus what you do it's like i can do these things but instead of that it's like wait what what do people actually want what are they getting out of this what is the that what what is the value that a past client might have gotten from me and then just slowly iterating through getting to a point where over a weekend you could put together a booklet that you put on gum road that started getting you real clients like who are maybe not pre-sold, but they're already, you know, not looking for someone else, right? I don't, you know, maybe that's not how it actually played out, but it sounds like the kind of thing where like, oh, the problem on page 62 is exactly what we have and we don't want to try and figure it out on our own. Is there some way that you can accelerate our progress? Mm-hmm. Is that a fair characterization? So a few things there. Um, do, you, do you mind if I go into okay. a little bit more detail? Please do. So the, the very last thing you said that it's pre-sold, it wasn't pre-sold. Um, but it got the door open and we got to have a conversation where I had authority in fixing the problem for them. Yep. And then once, once I, cause I gave them, you know, just, they told me, oh, but you're too expensive and we can't do this. And I said, you know, try me. Like I saw a lot of messy shit in my, in my, in my career, just give me your dirtiest <laughs> problem. 
and then they obfuscated it, sent it to me, and I and I and I sent them a little. Uh, this is the client I'm working with right now. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little Loom video of hey, I, I I took a look. This is what we could work on. This is what it could look like. And here, look, in ten minutes, I've changed it into this shape. This is your code base. If I if I just fix it gently, <laughs> and I can teach your team how to do this. And, and and they were like, and then it's like, okay, well, I'll think about it. And then it just kept coming and coming and coming. And then other problems from the booklets started rising up in their company. And they just told me, okay, then it's, it's not a matter of whether we want this, whether we need this. It's just a matter of getting the budget approved. Yep. And then that gave me a aha moment of aha. So you you actually want to buy, but you're you don't manage the budget. So I just yeah. said, okay, so now you're on my side. I just need to help you get the mu- budget approved. And they said, well, how much? And I just sent them the proposal, which I wrote <laughs> with your help um, <laughs> because I was ready for that conversation at, at that point. I just didn't know how the why conversation that was missing. So that's one mm. thing. The second thing, I did publish the book on Gumroad and I set up a fee for zero, zero plus. Yep. And I did actually make some sales from that. Um, so that was also a nice little extra revenue stream. Cool. Because I, I was surprised, like the booklet was to me fairly simple, but a lot of people took value from it. And then you were just like, oh my God, this is like, it's, it's simple, but I'm happy paying, you know, 20 bucks for this, for this little dense, little booklet of information, hmm. similar to the tiny MBA. Yep. Um, that, yeah, that, that, Alex that surprised me. Like that surprised me. Um, that, that was an unexpected win. Mm-hmm. And the very the the other thing you said is you know when you said okay I went back and spoke retroactively to my clients, it, it wasn't just my clients because uh, I come from a sort of agency or even full time employment background and freelancing, so I primarily went and spoke to my coworkers, and interesting. The, and because I didn't have a history of freelancing or consulting, well, it's just where I ended up just pursuing a more. Um, how would you like job hopping style software career, yeah. which is quite popular nowadays, mm-hmm. um, especially with remote work. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to look for a job where I have to work in the office here in Dublin in Slovenia. I'm just going to go right out this wave of remote work during COVID and see what happens. Yeah. Um, and I started talking to my coworkers because from my conversations, especially on the podcast, I've realized that the, the biggest misfortune in our industry is that a lot of engineers have never been on a good project. Oh, that's interesting. And I happen to have the luck of being on a good project. Yeah. That's and why they're so cynical. That's why they exactly, think like, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I had the, the, the fortune of just meeting the right people at the right time and being on a good project. And when I left that company, they followed me or mm-hmm. I followed them. And we recreated that culture at a new company. Hmm. And then I had the conversation of like, why did we, why did we, why did we do this together? Like, cause that was fun. Those were like the golden days. <laughs> that was really cool. Right. And then, hey, making a and difference. then we opened and we we're making a difference. And then everybody had spoke about, uh, um, that they said, Dennis, when you were in charge and we were doing the project your way, it felt like everybody had superpowers. Oh. I and, hope that's on your web. That should be the header on your website. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. That's why I'm doing TPS, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's a we got, we got twins three months ago. <laughs> Give yes, me a break. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Congratulations, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. This okay. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. So this this idea of 10x developers. That's what it felt like. 
not on a productivity level, but just emotional level. You know, everybody, everybody is disgruntled and they're maybe cynical, as you said, mm. or maybe they're discouraged or, un- or just unfulfilled. Yeah. Because also th- that that seminar that I did in between the TPSs was about life coaching. So I also got life coaching training because I'm a recovering analytical left brainer. I wanted to <laughs> see what I, I wanted to see what's on the other side. Yeah. Uh, and that really helped me. It's like, how, okay, how can we get fulfillment? Um, how can we get fulfillment and that kick-ass hell yeah feeling for developers without forcing them to go vegan and do yoga? <laughs> um, and th- then it dawned on me that hey, just show them how you run projects. Like show them what Dennis does when everybody has superpowers, and mm-hmm. that's that's what got the ball rolling. And that's where I am right now. That's great. Okay, so what what was it? Let's like switch into your business a little bit here. So like oh. at this point in time, how like are things improving business wise for you? I mean, it sounds good yes. if clients yes. are coming straight to you. Can you quantify um, it at all? So I got, let's say, I went from just cold calling and having one or two engagements per quarter that were like on a retainer worth two to four K per client. I am now attracting clients that are signing three to six K per month retainers on a regular basis. Mm, so like that's roughly that's, doubled. Let's right? say roughly doubled. Yeah, roughly doubled is the right um is the right scale, I would say. Nice. Uh, but not but not even roughly doubled, but I, I, I would say roughly doubled and I'm underpricing. Because the 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 sort of feedback I'm getting is over the moon. Mm, excellent. We okay. So I'm tempted to go into I'm tempted to interrupt the story, but I'm just gonna take a note and loop back to it. So so <laughs> I we're we're up to the current we're up to the current time, basically. Mm-hmm. And what's your, I mean, you just had twins. Like, what's your week look like? Is it heads down client work? How much time are you spending doing content creation things on LinkedIn or podcasting? Like, yeah, I know it's a weird time to ask because you're still mm-hmm. in the thick of things with the kids. But but when things kind of normalize parentally, like, what do you what do you think your week looks like? Do, are you, you know, okay, your, your income roughly doubled, but are you working twice as much? I mean, my income more than doubled, you know, it's the, the thing with the workload is it didn't go up too much because I just stopped doing the unimportant things and just focused, focused on the things that brought value, which is mm-hmm. also what my whole coaching is about. Mm. It's about deciding what not to do on a project and how to not get distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my, my day to day is, you know, I start off, I plan my day. My day is already to some degree pre-planned. I see if my day needs any kind of tactical adjustment, like short term. I have some a few focus sessions. Uh, I have a few B2C clients, which are one-on-one. That's basically that's a, a monthly retainer. And I sell my services, small, medium, large. Small is I'm coaching one-on-one. Medium is I'm coaching a leader and their team. That means I'm coaching the leader 90 minutes per week and uh, have a tactical session and a strategic session with the team. So one of them is a bit more theory. One is a bit more hands-on. And then the large engagement is me also being included as part of their team. And then rather ra- rather than telling you, I also show you. Yep. Okay. Um, that's basically it. Um, and my my week is basically just managing those weekly engagements. I also mentor on a boot camp uh, for a boot camp in Africa for mm-hmm. up and coming software engineers, uh, sort of engineers who are mid or senior ish level, but want to go higher, but don't know exactly how to navigate that. Right. 
Um, so it's just juggling, uh, let's say, half a dozen of one-on-ones with one or two companies at a time, which are either on the medium or large track. Got it. Um, and then downtime I spend with the kids, have you know brunch time blocked off a few, few key days of the week. And the evenings I spend just anytime I get an idea, I have this like very regimented notion document style where if I get an idea, even during coaching, mm-hmm. oh, this was this was key. This was nice. I write it down. I just write down the title. And then in the evening, I write and sh- schedule essentially posting on LinkedIn for the next day or the next two, three days, depending on how much content accrued. Mm. And I've been posting every day for the past, uh, ex- every day except Sundays for the past four months. Babies included. Wow. Yeah, it's addictive. That streak, you don't want to break it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm on a good streak. Somebody asked me once if I would ever stop doing daily emails, and I said I would be terrified to do that. <laughs> Terror. That would be very scary. So, okay. So, that's excellent. Can you, I, there, I want to drill in on a couple of, like, sort of, I'm imagining some question marks in people's minds. It might be, like, silly small things, but still, sure. they can be blockers. So. You mentioned B2C a couple of times. What do you mean when you say B2C? You know, it's, you know, business to consumer, but like it's in your individual context. engineers who are either in between jobs or are learning something that they know they do not have permission to apply at their job, hmm. uh, wanting to boost their career in case they move or in case their manager gets switched. Right. And they are paying for this or they, they convince their manager to pay? They for are paying for this. Okay. So that, yeah. so I, I agree with that. It's like, when it when the when the buyer is the user, it does. I I would characterize it as B two C because it's a different kind of sale than B two B where somebody's spending Correct. somebody else's Correct. money. Okay, so that's it's cool. it, it, what also what also the the thing I don't like doing, I don't like doing isolated workshops, which is I which is why I isolate this kind of offering to B two C. It's just one on one, and I cater it immediately to what they need, and I ask them specifically, okay, are you going to apply it? No, okay, then I'm not gonna teach it. Mm. Are you gonna are you gonna switch jobs? Okay, well, what what would be practically useful? Or if you think this is over the moon, what would be the first step to see whether that's actually true? Just mm. so I'm just trying to you know bringing in that life coaching experience that I had, just try to get all of their obstacles on a sheet of paper and just going through them one by one to have them make some kind of practical move tomorrow. Yep. And that is why also when I when I teach. When I coach a team, we're not having workshops. We are working on their most critical feature that they have in the sprint that week. We're not isolating ourselves and doing something because then there's another. Then there's an yeah because then there's another layer of of translation. You go to a you go to a um, a conference. They have workshops. You learn something there. But then when you come home, you you then need to translate what you learned. To, well, but how can I apply this to my work? Right. I do it the other way around. I have a large curriculum that I can talk about. I can talk about domain-driven design, event modeling, event sourcing, CQRS, test-driven development, um, emotional management skills, soft skills, how to do agile, how to do agile the right way without Scrum, how to do just just practical. I, I call it tactical agility. Just yeah. practical life skills of just you know just. Talk to the customer, find out what's valuable, and then do nothing else. Um, Yes, great point. Find out what's valuable and then do nothing else. Correct. And um, I do that by talking to their leader, thinking, okay, what's a priority this week? And then knowing what their priorities are, what they're struggling with, 
I sent out a questionnaire gauging the sort of stress levels of of um, the team. And then that week, I speak either if it's theoretical or practical, usually both. I tackle a problem that immediately solves that that priority that can help accelerate or, or just, you know, it, it might. In most cases, it's not only what they want. It is an alternative that they haven't even considered that is possible. Right. Yeah. That That's a, a key distinction. It's a question that comes up all the time. When you hear comments like, you know, the customer's always right or um, do what they need, not what they want, things like that. It's like mm -hmm. if you if you can distinguish, it's a great habit to be in, like across the board, life, business. If you can notice when someone is asking for an implementation, they're asking for a solution, they have self-prescribed a course of action that they're not qualified or that maybe you're more qualified to help with and saying like finding a way to decrease the cost right so they come to you and they say oh we need this and you're mm -hmm. like why like what are you hoping to achieve with this let's pick something from outside of software like somebody your copywriter someone comes to you and says oh we need a 40 page white paper there's like two ways to respond to that i actually do you mind if you keep it to software because i have a very sure. good counter yeah, you example. do it then yeah you do it yeah because because usually they tell me hey dennis you know, they won't come and tell me, hey, Dennis, I need this implemented. They come to me specifically, I mean, through my my booklets and my content, they come to me with, Dennis, our company is X years old. We've changed seven teams. And this culture, this habit always sticks. We don't have tests. Uh, we want to deploy, but then we're not sure. And then we're always late. Like regardless of who we put on this task, these same cycles happen and it's killing our business. It's super expensive. People are leaving, people are demotivated. I can't, I feel like I can't get anything done. So yep. it's not, it's, we, they will continue building what the next feature, but it's not really about the next feature, which is what they want or what their outcome is, but it is also this added nuance of, or the team building it has commoditized itself. And the side effect of being commoditized is they will just leave the company when they get bored or frustrated enough, and then they'll have to repeat the cycle again. And then they'll just churn out commoditized features that may or may not be ready or of high enough quality, or even maybe just way too late on the market. That is really fascinating to think about, like, like, because I don't deal with employees normally. And the idea of becoming commoditized, perhaps of your own volition just to like do the minimum effort for the salary. Exactly. It also has the function of making you not give a crap about anything that you're doing because you're doing the bare minimum to like not get fired. So, so to give you an example, I work with companies where there's just an overwhelming culture of Dennis. This is a five-year-old code base. We don't have any tests mm -hmm. and we don't know how to write tests. And we, and this is now part of our culture. We just don't, don't do tests. We just don't know how. Yeah. And they hire me. And then week one, we finish with a few tests in their critical code paths. And everybody's like, whoa, this this was fast. You know, it wasn't not, that hard. It wasn't that hard. But it, but it, it it got part of their identity. So for them, it was extremely difficult. Mm. Right. So it's, they have started self-identifying with, we're just a cost center. The tech department was at some point a profit center and about product. And then it became a commoditized cost center. And then all the bad habits got introduced and they stuck. So it, oh, the, the so team, interesting. the yeah. tech team 
the tech team primarily optimized for producing legacy code. It, it wasn't really like product product oriented code that then essentially got abandoned slowly, but it was it was abandoned before it got launched. It was right. written in such a way that it became stale before it even reached the customer. And that that lag time of how long it takes for it to be stale for them particularly wasn't the negative, and they didn't see a way out. It's like it's like getting <laughs> a a personal finance problem where you are constantly in credit in, in credit card debt, and yeah. you and the only solution that you see is getting more <laughs> buying, <laughs> taking up another loan or another credit card. To, so, and then you play this game of optimizing margins and fees and, yes. you know, and, and then you're playing small and then, yes. and then the team ends up being commoditized because they play way too small. I told them, well, what if you could deploy every day? What if you did have tests for the critical code paths? What if you could just start a feature today, have something to show tomorrow, not what you expected on Wednesday, pivot on Thursday and on Friday when your product person asks you, hey, when will this be done? Rather than saying maybe next month, you say, well, this is what we have now. You can have that. Or on Tuesday, you can have a small improvement. And they're like, uh, Dennis, cool. Okay, how much? Mm, rad. I mean, we're super, <laughs> we're, we're like totally getting into your actual uh, focus area, area yes, of expertise. Yes. But but your audience is, I believe, I mean, I, I don't yeah. think it would be lost in the... In, no, not the, at all. Right, right, right. It's super duper resonating. It's fascinating. I don't know. I, I mean, I've been in software for a godzillion years and it's like... <laughs> And and still, you've raised a couple of points that I think are are novel, or at least I haven't heard. I don't pay attention to it that much anymore. But some really novel stuff in there that I'm sure is just the overall message of like think bigger. And and mm -hmm. I, I can't. My brain is just hung up on the on wanting to grind on the the disengagement of the employees. So like, in a sense, kind of putting their disillusionment, creating their own disillusionment by playing small is right. really interesting in thinking that like switching to another company is going to change that won't work. Yeah. And the, and the problem really that I saw is that once 80% of the team becomes like that, you hire a star who's super optimistic and he mm. will absorb that culture. He or she will absorb that culture from the team. Yeah, of course. And and then it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. Yeah. Wild. And I know, and I know how to resist that because I come in and they say, well, Dennis, we don't do tests. And I say, hell no. Today we are. Today on Dennis session, we are. You know, yeah. we have on the calendar, it says Dennis time. And I tell them, it's going to suck. You're going to slow down, but you're only going to slow down on the sessions that you have with me. Right. Everything else you do however you want. And over time, I will help you get it smooth enough so that you can subconsciously apply it in every day and every day work. So you don't have to think about this knee jerk reaction of, well, I need to do the right thing, but oof, but I'm in a hurry. I need to do the right yeah. thing, but ooh, but then the code base, oof. But then yeah. if I open this, then I need to do that. And then and then you just get lost. And then one, two, three, four, five things and cognitive overload hits and they're just stress takes over. Lunchtime, boom, gone. Repeat <laughs> next day. <laughs> wow, you've definitely been in the trenches. That is <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, right? It's like you get them hooked. Slow is yeah. smooth and smooth is fast. Get them hooked on it. Like exactly. we're going to do it. I'm going to hold your hand for the next hour. We're going to do this. It's going to be done. And you're going to, you're going to be like the next time you go to run this thing, you'll be like, ah, oh, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. And then the tactical sessions essentially become, you come to me with an impossible task and we deal with it in 90 minutes mm -hmm. with what seems to them an impossible uh -huh. hurdle. Yes. So, right. it, you know, so it is, 
what I'm dealing with is their own self-inflicted limitations that yes. are part of their company culture. And then we sort of slowly, gently unravel that. Well, I'm sure we could talk about this all day. I, I think at this point we should probably, <laughs> we could probably leave it there. I think the, what you are describing is a, sounds to me like a super valuable combination of air quotes, soft skills, hard skills in the trenches, knowledge and tactics to use that will actually work to accomplish the objectives of the client. So it's no wonder to me that, that as you sort of begun to share more of this freely on social media and, you know, potentially for free on gum road or whatever else, mm -hmm. it seems like a message is, is going to resonate with really anybody who, anybody who's got a, a product team and a, a software team that's trying to implement it and is just, just, and it feels like molasses. They're just, uh, like it, <laughs> employee churn is high. Yeah. Mood is dark. People are just complaining all the time. So, I mean, uh, you've been in the industry. You know how it is to be on a team like that. Oh God. Yeah. 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 That's why I'm laughing. You know, it's like nothing's changed. The, the last time, the last time I was, the last time I can remember facing this, and, and reacting the way you are. I'm just like looking at, it was, it wasn't usually employees. It was usually like an outside agency that had been in a relationship with a client for a long period of time. And I mean, but at least they are paid well for it because the uh, longer they take, they get paid more. Right. But then the client is starting to be like, we're paying a lot and we are getting less and less every and month. And then they want to decrease their hourly rates to, yeah, to compensate Or switch for... to someone else or like, yeah, yeah it's exactly. just, a, it's just a exactly. mess. And that's, and... that's a whole harrowing rabbit hole on its own yeah so it's a little bit different but it's but it's a similar kind of thing where it's like there's a lot of finger pointing well we would be getting more stuff done if they weren't overthinking the product or we would be we wouldn't need to overthink the product if like these releases were actually functional and weren't full of correct bugs. it's correct. just like, like oh. if you if you if you weren't so slow half of your problems wouldn't even even be on the table you wouldn't yeah. even have a retrospective to go through issues that happened throughout the last two weeks because you would have employed because you would have deployed the important thing on wednesday and the client would be happy yeah and then you can then you can you can as long as you deliver value you can still make a mess but it has to be in the right cadence in the right order yeah you you, you said something earlier that i actually wrote down which is this maybe we could leave it here find out what's valuable and then do nothing else it's great yeah yeah so we're eliminating waste not improving what you're doing already Mm hmm. All right, sweet. Well, this has been great. Uh, where can people go to find out more about what you're doing? Maybe find your, uh, your, your booklet on Gumroad or your website. So I just recently updated my LinkedIn profile. It really has become my nexus. So my LinkedIn profile, Dennis Chakuk has the important bits. I, I can, I can do a tech depth audit for you in case. So if you want to figure out whether you actually have these problems and whether I can help. There's a very simple way of getting in touch with me to get a little bit of a little bit of um, a status report on that. You can find all of my content there, and there's a link to the Technologist podcast, which is my podcast on YouTube. And now, from from last week onward, on LinkedIn as well, uh, where I talk to people in the industry that are essentially of similar opinions, but from different tactical or cultural or even just language or framework or industrial. Uh, niches. Mm, awesome. Great. Well, thanks again. Thank you, Jonathan. This has been a this has been a blast. 
Luna here is sleeping in my arms. She she <laughs> she really enjoyed this. She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> she likes listening to daddy talk. Yeah, she does. She does. The white noise of the computer and everything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> cool. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time on Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.